When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy happy game week. Happy Ohio week. We're back. Yeah, we, we, we are officially back. It is officially game week. Um, the uptick in actual game-related content on the blog should be notable. Um, I'm sure the amount of uh, all-caps profanity coming from my Twitter account will be noticeable um, in, in a matter of days. It's, uh, it's, it's football season, and I think despite the, uh, despite the dread coming with this season in, in some ways, I think, I think we're both pretty excited about what's, uh, what's to come for now at least. Yeah, it's definitely like a pretty 50-50 shot of dread and excitement at this point i think it would turn one way or the other really strongly based on how this game starts but um yeah it's 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 so hard to what know what to expect both on the syracuse side of things obviously we follow the team as closely as we can um but just based on how things are run with babers like you're, you're always pretty locked down even compared to some of the past coaches and then ohio as well like we don't know a lot of what to expect with them they have a new coach they only played three games last year um those games while they may have been telling, like they were against uh, pretty bad opponents overall, except for the game they lost to Central Michigan. So, um, yeah, it's 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 we're we're going in about as blind as I think you could possibly go into a season when you have like a pretty veteran head coach and and uh, against a pretty no like you know pretty noteworthy program in Ohio, one of the better programs in the MAC. Um, all things considered, like I think uh, it's hard to imagine a situation in which we know less about what Week One's going to look like. Yeah, there's definitely some disconcerting factors there um, around what we know from Ohio. Like you said, really only about three games to look at. No, not a ton of tape um, on Coach Albin over there um, after he took over for Frank Solich, who was there for 16 years at the helm. Um, Solich, obviously, I know we've talked about the MAC quite a few times in the past. And when we did our conference previews in previous years, um, one of the, the things we always noted was that, you know, the, the, a lot of things changed. Um, especially on, on the West side of things, but it seemed that um, Ohio being at least like passable um, w- w- was the one constant. Um, so now we get to see if that's, if the house that Frank Solich built is necessarily uh, a sturdy one or, or, or one that was based at least in part on, on his abilities. Albin um, did coach up this offense pretty well um, in recent seasons. So it's not as if they'd be doing a full reset uh, with the new staff and all, they'll definitely have a lot of carryover. Um from the last few years and a lot of um, carry carryover experience talent as well. Um, and that's something we'll probably get into more in the second half uh, of this podcast. I guess first and foremost, Dan, um, Tuesday was the NFL uh, cut day. So rosters got down to 53 players. I think we were 
we were sure of some things. We were not sure of others. Ultimately, um, a bunch of players got cut for, that were formerly at Syracuse, but a bunch of players did not um, get cut. I, I know some people were remarking uh, in particular that, you know, having three defensive backs from last year's team uh, make NFL rosters this year uh, just makes last year's one in 10 record even more confounding in, uh, in hindsight. Yeah, it, it, it's, I mean, we just, we know there was talent on the team um, and that makes it very frustrating. Um, definitely some surprises. I thought both Sterling Harfrichter and Chris Slayton had uh, pretty good chances. Um, Harfrichter, like, you know, the second that a, a punter has a punt bad punts, it's not as volatile as tickers, but like with special teamers in general, he should be on the short list for like guys available for anyone. Um, but then like the, the three defensive bats this year, all made the team. Trill Williams was probably the biggest question mark as an undrafted free agent for the Dolphins. Um, but it sounds like he, I mean, he made a really big impression there, which is awesome to see. Um, and we felt like he was a, a pretty good bet there considering his special teams ability and just his versatility in general to be able to play corner and safety. Um, but then, you know, you saw Walton Robinson hanging on. Obviously, Chandler Jones is one of the stalwart players in, in the league. Both Sisto and Melifanu, both uh, draft picks this year, made it pretty comfortably. Sarah Franklin continues to be like a leader for the Colts. So definitely a mid's bag. But I think um, overall, like the guys you, you mostly expected to make it, made it. Um, and hopefully some of these other guys like Tristan Jackson and the two punters, Nolan Tooney and Hoffrichter, um, can, uh, can, can kind of hang on and, and we start to, uh, to find new spots for them as well. Yeah, I mean, Hoff's the big one. I obviously want Nolan Cooney to catch on somewhere, too. But Hoff's the big one who uh, you really hope catches on here because it was great to have, you know, two punters picked in recent years um, and have him, like, not only get picked, but then be able to win the job. Uh, the Falcons was awesome. Him getting hurt, I believe, too, um, was definitely not going to help his case. And it might not help his case getting signed until later in the year. Um, but a lot of the other names you mentioned, I mean, folks who should be around a while, um, Christian Jackson, I think was actually a surprising cut for a lot of folks just because last year he kind of squeaked in and then this time around kind of lost out to, uh, you know, Ben Skoronek, uh, the former Notre Dame wide receiver who's actually injured right now. Um, it just seemed like, uh, he just, I guess, piqued the coaching staff's interest a little bit more. So, you know, Jackson could potentially come back there as a scout team guy. Uh, there's other scout team opportunities for a bunch of these players. So. This is, I mean, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but this is probably the most we've had, most NFL players we've had from Syracuse perspective in quite some time. Um, so I, I'm excited to see it. Hopefully a lot of these guys stick around. A lot of them are able to expand their roles too over the course of the year. Yeah, and it's a number of, it's like uh, not the first total wave, but a lot of these guys are like Baber's first guys. Like some of the ones who are already on rosters kind of were inherited from the Marone and Schaefer years. It's good to see some of these Baber's guys um, making rosters, making impacts. Um, it seems like, especially the three, the three defensive bats, as we, we talk about all the time, like, I think they'll all make an impact. I know Sisto is graded out really, really well, obviously take, you know, pro football focus grades from the preseason, uh, for what they are. But, um, it sounds like all notations that he's played well, uh, Melifon didn't sound like he was in any real danger of, of making the cut. And yeah, hopefully this is just a sign of things to come, things to come going forward. And, and we can start to put more dies on the board, uh, in the, in the coming years. Um, and then even guys like Tristan Jackson, like, you mentioned that was a bit of a surprise. I thought he, from all indications, he had a pretty good preseason too. So hopefully some other teams will at least get him like a practice squad spot. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, he was the one I think a lot of, you know, even Rams observers were definitely uh, pretty shocked by. So definitely someone to, to keep an eye on name-wise. Uh, I think Cisco, I know Urban Meyer, I think, said last week that Cisco is potentially competing for a starting job, uh, which, which shouldn't shock, uh, you know, most Syracuse uh, viewers 
uh, from, from recent seasons. I think the only reason Cisco wasn't a first, uh, first or second round pick was really because of just the injury um, that they took out most of his uh, junior season, unfortunately. Yeah, and plus it's a team that's going to be so like rookie and second year guy laden that he kind of slides right into a situation where you know if he makes a couple mistakes, it's not it shouldn't um, really like he's not like he has a lot of guys waiting in the wings behind him. Like Urban Meyer has a very very young team there. I obviously like everyone knows he's kind of a you know freak when it comes to winning all possible teams, but I think like realistically the Jaguars are going to be a very uh, a program that's or a franchise that's all about development this year, and and you know if if he made some, you know, we've seen we've seen Sisto jump on some balls that he probably shouldn't have and be really aggressive, and hopefully that kind of stuff doesn't hurt him considering the team is really just trying to find playmakers for like three or four years down the line. Um, but all indications that, that is that are that he's played really well uh, this summer, so uh, which is no surprise he was good like the entirety of uh of of his college career up until the the freak injury, so. Um, and, and as you said, he was like on those strong, like first to early second round boards before the injury. So um, hopefully they got a steal and he's like a, a, you know, really strong factor there following the, the Donovan Darius mold uh, for years to come. Yeah, I believe. I mean, yeah, Donovan, I mean, Donovan Darius link is great. Um, just from a, you know, Syracuse um, link up. I know for me, I'm hoping I can catch both uh, Melifonwu and Cisco out here. Um, both the Jags and Lions are facing the uh, Rams um, out this way this season. So I'm going to see, try to see at least one of them um, in action, which would be nice. Or if Sisto just wants to get paid somewhere else and not be in Jacksonville, that's also fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, if it happens, I doubt it'll be this year. But Yeah, I mean, be, it's realistically, he's probably there for three or four years. But um, yeah, I mean, if you want to go ball out and then go to a city that's not Jacksonville, Florida, um, that could be a good option too. Just do the whole Jalen Ramsey thing where Jacksonville yeah. just decides that they don't want to pay you and raise and, hell and, for a while and then yeah, show up at a Brinks truck. And and then end up on the Rams. There you go. I mean, that worked, it worked out pretty great for him. <laughs> Aside from the fact that he got apparently toasted by Hunter Renfro in the preseason game a couple, or in, in the scrimmage a couple weeks ago, which is really funny for a number of reasons. Um, but besides that, like it's worked out pretty well for him. Agreed, agreed. Um, all right, more two matters that are directly, directly Syracuse football focused. Dan, the new depth chart uh, released on uh, August 30th. It's the first depth chart we've really seen since last year <laughs> because uh, Babers keeps everything under lock and key. Um, insert your own joke around, yeah, well, things didn't really matter last year when <laughs> when they were under lock and key, so what does it matter now? Um, but realistically, Glad we have a depth chart. Glad there's like something tangible in our hands to talk about uh, with regard to the roster, uh, regard to the players that we're going to see um, on the field more often than not. Again, there's probably some grains of salt to take with this, um, you know, just given how Babers works and how a lot of these depth chart updates are, are usually delayed or, uh, you know, a week or so. But Dan, what were like kind of some of the, the biggest surprises for you here um, in, in terms of what we saw in the two deep? I thought the first thing that jumped out was Cooper Lutz being in that like second uh, running back spot with the or spot with uh, Jarvian Howard. Um, I kind of thought Lutz was going to be kind of existing in his own little like world here because he's so much different than the other three backs. Uh, also the fact that Abdul Adams doesn't even get like the courtesy ad here, although I don't think it makes a huge difference. It's just like a matter of how many guys you're listening at per, per position. Um, so that was, that was one that uh, I thought was very interesting. Obviously, um, it's hard to know really what to make of the Chris Elmore, Luke Benson situation. Obviously, Elmore is not really playing tight end. He's playing 
uh, fullback uh, slash, you know, hopefully not offensive guard in a couple of weeks, but who knows? Like, I think he'll be all over. Um, hopefully we'll see Benson in there a lot. We, we've talked about over this a lot uh, over the last couple weeks. Um, and then uh, on the defensive side, um, I don't know. I, I thought, uh, you know, maybe having Marlo Watts in there over uh, Tanton Arku was a slight uh, surprise, but nothing too crazy. Um, you know, I think we just have a lot of depth in that back seven of the of the defense. So nothing there really jumped out to me too much. Yeah, reasonable. Yeah, I think for me, I, I know some people made something about the Elmore Benson stuff. I think you're not going to see the two of them on the field a ton um, at the same time. So that's part of it. I, I, I think yeah. For me, I can't see us running like I formation. That's like the only thing that you, I mean, there, there's like, there aren't that many formations that Babers has run historically that has both a fullback and a tight end. And so I think it's, it's definitely an either or situation. Totally. And yeah, I mean, there's plenty of attention paid to the DeVito over Schrader stuff. The fact there wasn't an or uh, I, I think is, is DeVito, well, is, is DeVito showing enough um, here in the off season, but also is Babers thankfully, I guess, committing um, a, a little bit sooner than maybe some thought. I think Sherrod Johnson getting in um, at, at one of the outside receiver spots over Damian Alford was uh, super interesting. Uh, not that all, we have, really haven't seen a, a ton from Alford um, in game. He only played, I think, in like a handful of, of, of special situations last year, uh, realistically, while Johnson we've kind of seen on and off. Alford's definitely the bigger target um, at 6'6", while Johnson's 5'11". I wouldn't doubt it, not to doubt Johnson's abilities, but wouldn't doubt it if Alford's able to jump his way into the starting lineup at some point. Uh, and, and then seeing, you know, Jackson and, and Payne get an oar uh, was interesting. It was great that that all the wish casting from the noon staff of uh, Taj Harris had a <laughs> slot was uh, was finally rewarded uh, after the entire offseason campaigning for it. Um, Aranda Gadsden getting himself um, on the two deep, I think, is another notable uh, thing. Again, another guy with some great size at 6'5", 210. Uh, like he's somebody who could definitely... Um, breakout. Also notable that uh, Kalen Ellis is on the two deep, uh, true freshman from Hawaii. Uh, that that's a great sign for us, and then maybe not a great sign for for his overall health. Um, I know he was in at the uh, fanfare event last week, but um, Dakota Davis ending up at, uh, at you know number two at the right guard position uh, probably not a great sign for him being full go uh, at, at least for week one. Um, and then on the other side, you already mentioned the big one that that folks were maybe a little surprised by, self included. Um, you know, seeing Marlo Wax jump um, Jeff Cantonarku there at the middle linebacker spot. I think you'll see plenty of both. Um, good to see Anwash Sparrow um, involved there as, as he kind of gets himself onto the field after not playing last year. Um, and then overall, like the just the you know five secondary positions, definitely. I wouldn't say questions there. Uh, but definitely you're just going to see a lot of these guys. Uh, Justin Barron was maybe the one surprise at Rover, uh, but, but everybody else, you're probably going to see some of these uh, safeties and, and Rovers kind of plug in in different places. It was predictable based on, you know, all the notes from camp to see uh, Deuce Chestnut start. And I think what, while it may seem counterintuitive to the strength of the team that if true freshman is able to jump in there and start at the same time, I think it's a, it's, it's a great sign for how good he is. And the fact that we really are going to be at least too deep at all these positions between him and the addition of Jason Simmons um, at the free safety spot. And I, I really like what we're getting out of the secondary, even more so than I, than I probably did a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I just did a quick count. And we have 17 freshmen or sophomores on the two deep for, or I guess three deep in some spots, that cornerback spot um, on defense, which is, is super exciting. We talked about it last week. 
Like we have uh, incredible youth uh, all across defense, but also most of these guys have gotten pretty significant playing time. So I think that's a pretty rare thing to be able to develop this much depth and quality depth and um, guys who like have played pretty good football overall. Like even, even in spots last year that were rough, like the defense was generally not the biggest issue. Um, so I, I'm really excited to see what that side of the ball does. I think they could carry us to some wins, even if the offense is still kind of middling and that that'll raise its own concerns and questions, especially with an offensive head coach. But um, I'll take it. Like if we, if we have another like 2010 type season where like the defense just puts the offense on its back and then we kind of figure out the offense along the way, I'm, I'm fine with it. Um, but especially if like this means that in 2024 the defense is just like loaded with talented with with talented um, experienced players and like maybe a little bit of a green defensive line, but um, I think the the we're definitely like in, trending in the right direction in terms of both depth, talent, um, and like just overall like I think having a the, this type of defense can can really be exciting for us going forward. Um, just so many guys who who showed out well last year and younger guys that need to win spots i think it's uh it's only a good thing yeah i totally agree realistically like you said this is a, this is a group that normally you see this many freshmen sophomores and, and you know redshirt freshmen uh on, on a two deep and you're concerned about what happens but because of the nature of covid and and, and the extra year that players are getting like this actually ends up being a, a a young group with a ton of upside and and i really really like that i i think that you know, this is the sort of group that, yeah, like you said, could put this team on its back. Like if the offense can only muster 28 points per game, that doesn't sound great, but also could be fine as long as they're capable um, of sustaining drives. Even if they stall out midfield, I'd rather they were just sustaining drives at a better rate than they were like last year and even the year before. Um, and just giving this defense more of a fighting chance. I mean, realistically, last year's defense wasn't perfect, but it, 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 it's it bigger issues came from this, the fact that it was gassed, you know, by halftime uh, most of the time, just because this offense wasn't even putting up 18 points a game. So like, to me, I, I think if we see just a little bit, like even if the scoring isn't blowing us away, if we can get, to, if we can get between 25 and 28 points per game from this offense, but then just like competency in terms of moving the football and just keeping the defense off the field for a bit. I think you see, um, a, a, a defense that's worlds better for full games and is not necessarily, you know, suck and win by, by, by mid, mid to late third quarter and really just getting kind of ran off the field in, in the fourth when, when to no fault of their own, they just don't have it anymore. Yeah. I mean, I think you can point to that pretty clearly last season, even like just from the start with that North Carolina game, the defense was in kept, kept us in basically, you know, pretty much every game, most games at least into that third quarter. But the offense, not only was it ineffective in terms of scoring points, but it just could not stay on the field. And like, obviously I'm not a huge like time of possession person and overall, but I do think like when things are exacerbated to the point where you're doing three and out, like every, you know, two out of every three drives, like it is going to have an impact. Like scoring, I'm all for scoring fast. Uh, We weren't doing that either. So you just can't, you can't have constant uh, three and four play drives and expect your defense uh, to both um, recover and, and play well, but also when they're put in like really troubling field position situations, like eventually they're going to break a couple times. Even the best defenses break a couple times. So um, yeah, hopefully the offense, even if it's not great this year, is is at least more competent in terms of keeping the defense uh, off the field, giving them some rest, um, and putting them in positions to succeed even when we don't score, which was such an issue last season. Yeah, I think a possession approach. I mean, we, we haven't heard a ton of this from Babers or any of the staff, but if we are looking at the run game being a bigger focus, there's a hope that that turns into just more possession approach and, and, and not necessarily saying no to tempo, but 
just by definition, you know, a running play is going to take more time to set up, develop, and everything else than than a passing play would. Uh, yeah, so. I, I think like they they don't necessarily they're not necessarily mutually exclusive to these like what we saw last year. Even when the team tries to go fast, if you're going three and out or you or you have a five play drive that ends in like a minute twenty, like even if your tempo is pretty good on those plays, you're not going to be putting up the kind of play numbers that we became accustomed to a little bit in 2018. And we look to be pushing, we look to like really start pushing things and especially not what we know Bieber's goals of like hundred plays per game is like, you could be going as fast as you want, but if you're out in three plays, like your tempo numbers are awful at the end of the game because you just don't have the ball or any kind of consistency. So um, yeah, I think it's like you, you can still go fast, but you, you, fast or slow, if you're not picking up first downs, it doesn't matter. Absolutely. Um, one other thing I wanted to note on the uh, depth chart here before we get to halftime, uh, kick returns, punt returns, uh, no surprise. I guess Trevor Pena is taking both on. Uh, Cody Jackson uh, would be his backup um, in both cases, though on the kick return front, Cooper Lutz and Jarvin Howard um, also getting some nods. I think it's a good sign for Howard overall that he was able to you know, crack the two deep here and that, that it seems like He's at least getting favorable comparisons to Lutz, who Baber seems to really like a lot after what we saw last year. And and, and Howard always had, and no, this is no like knock on, on Abdul Adam necessarily, but Howard always had this really nice like power and burst of speed mix. And really, once he got past that first line, like he was kind of off to the races in a way that like we haven't seen a ton of from Adams here. We did see plenty of it from Adams at Oklahoma. Uh, when he was there and I'm not necessarily comparing the two um, time periods and, and, and just levels of play for him, but just realistically, like I, I think that, that, that Howard all signs here point to Howard, not suffering much, if at all from sitting out last year, while um, Adams maybe in part by just how he stacks up versus the other guys in the backfield, but also just, you know, maybe just that year off actually did harm his ability um, to break through here. Like that, that just, kind of how things are shaking out. I mean, obviously with four capable running backs, um, people returning running backs, um, you were never going to see all four guys in, in, a, in a two deep. Here. Yeah. I mean, I think the only issues for Adams and Howard are that because they missed last year, they opened the door for a guy like Tucker to really show off as like a, a really impressive player. I don't think, you know, if, if Tucker had just been fine last year and lots had just been fine and not had that hundred yard game late in the year, I think we'd be probably talking about, oh, we get Howard and Adams back. And like, at least those young guys got something last year, but it really like, they opened the door for, for the two young guys to really shine. But I don't think it's like uh, they're being punished or the, their jobs were taken away from them. I think it's just like kind of weird circumstance, but it's also encouraging to see them back and, and trying to make an impact on the team. So um, I have no doubt that we'll, I mean, I said it last week, like there's really no reason for us to have a tired running back out there. Hopefully we see all four of them. Agreed, agreed. Um, and hopefully we find some way to throw to running backs like Cooper Lutz and Tucker, who actually was a decent receiver last year. Um, I, I think Babers hasn't used running backs a ton at SU um, in, in the passing game, and, and I'd very much like to see that this year. Yeah, I think all of them see me, especially Lutz, but I, I, all four, I think, could be really uh, really dangerous in the open field. So I would, I'd be very pro of that as well. Totally, especially if we're facing pressure. Uh, easy way to uh, to alleviate that. Yep. I mean, that's the, one of the problems is like Tommy getting the ball out of his hands quickly has been kind of one of, you know, one of his bigger issues. But if like that can certainly be a way to counteract, uh, you know, aggressive blitz teams off the edge. Was versus Clemson two years ago. I, I remember mm-hmm. he threw it, he threw to O'Neal twice in a row. And I was like, great. More yep. of that. <laughs> and, and then no, that, was, that was great. 
I remember those very vividly. We burned them really bad on two straight plays. And then, you know, it's just one of those things where, like, you you get – I guess it was more of a concern for, like, 2019 Tommy, where he would do that, like, really awful throw to the flat, and I could yeah. see that being an issue in the string game. But, like, even, like, late in the year last, and then last year before he got hurt, like, we didn't see too much of that. So hopefully that's, that, that's something in the arsenal. Great. Uh, Dan, now that you're back in uh, on the East Coast, what were you drinking um, over the last week? All right, so I was in Denver for most of last week after. Um, I was feeling a little under the weather, so I didn't drink too much, unfortunately. But uh, Or unfortunately, I guess. But um, I did have some local stuff. Uh, I had a Bianca Double Blueberry Almond Cake Wild Wild Brett. Uh, maybe the longest beer name I've had in a while. Uh, from Crooked Stave, which was really delicious. I uh, didn't have too much of the almond uh, flavoring from it, but a really nice blueberry. Um, had some Avery stuff. As I said last week, I had some Avery IPAs. Um, my friends brought me back some uh, Maharaja, which is uh, always a delight on the IPA front. And then uh, probably my favorite of the week, um, I had some Pomona, uh, some barrel-aged tart uh, pomegranate blueberry ale. Um, really delicious, fully full-bodied, uh, really blended those two flavors nicely. Um, but you got like a really strong like barrel-aged flavor as well. Um, and then I've had some stuff back here east. I uh, had some friends, I'm, I'm down the shore now, um, had, they brought some, uh, some dogfish, both some 60-minute and uh what's the other one they brought uh forgot to check in on untapped bad form uh namaste white and uh i think i also have some uh minus touch i believe in the fridge so i'm gonna get through some of that this week very nice uh, on this end i was wrapping up a couple things that i had and then trying new stuff at another rocket people from modern times a hazy pale ale or well, hazy uh west coast pale ale uh had from Highland Park, I had uh, Coleman IPA from Celador. I had slide down my cellar door. Uh, it was a uh, peaches and honey uh, wild ale that was super good. Really enjoyed that uh, from Highland Park and uh, Firestone Walker. Really great combo. Uh, had uh, only beginnings. Great can art with uh, dinosaurs and cavemen on it. But uh, more importantly, the beer itself uh, was uh, vanilla. It was a Imperial Stout with vanilla, uh, Amberana wood, uh, really great like chocolate notes in there too uh, that I really enjoyed. And then I was over at Monkish down in Torrance, had uh, Hamster, their German Pilsner. That's incredible uh, for a German Pilsner. Uh, you know, you wouldn't think the style would would, would have too much variety given the uh, Bavarian beer uh, constructs, and yet uh, Monkish might be able to uh, you know, improve upon that somehow and, and, and do it very well with a kind of West Coast flair to it. Uh, the West Coast love, uh, it seems like some breweries are realizing that uh, haze has become a little interchangeable locally. So some uh, breweries that went all in on haze and are trying out West Coast IPAs, uh, which is humorous to me as someone who's who's a bigger West Coast IPA lover to begin with. Um, also had from Monkish, um, Invisible Enigma, a double IPA from them, uh, Moments, which is a triple IPA that was really, really good. Um, and then Impressionable, which was a uh, farmhouse ale uh, that was Asian French oak barrels with uh, Persian mulberries. A bunch of different things, even if from only a handful of breweries. Very nice. Yeah. So, um, Dan, obviously, like we said, we have a game against Ohio. What are your What are your initial impressions of the Bobcats? Acknowledging, like we said, that we don't know a ton about them. Um, I'm all over the place with them. It, it, like on one hand, they have a new head coach, a first time head coach, um, replacing. Something of a program legend in Freight Solich, who, while he never won the MAC, was like probably the most consistent coach in the MAC almost the entire time he was there from 2005 on. Um, 
They uh, so that brings a whole load of questions. Tim Albin, their new head coach, has been the OC since I think when Solar started. He's been there the whole time, which is crazy. Um, and he's engineered a pretty good offense. We, you know, if there's a situation in which you're transitioning to a uh, an internal head coach, like this seems like the ideal version of it. Um, the offensive like, side, though, not that like because realistically, we've done we've done the promote your defensive coordinator thing. Yeah, I mean he's the OC, so that's it's it's a little yeah. different than what, we, what we've experienced. And he has been there for so long, and it seems like they maintain most of their staff, so it doesn't seem like there should be um, a major drop off on paper. Now we've seen, you know, even with like what seemed like perfect situations, not that like the Schaefer situation was perfect. It was, you know, we were we were high on it at the time. Um, there's like no guarantee that it works out. Like obviously, you know, good head, great head coaches are great for a reason. Um, at the same time, they have a really experienced team. I think they bring back uh, like something like seven starters on each side of the ball, a bunch of seniors and super seniors like we do. Um, but like last year, it's hard to judge anything uh, from what they did. They played uh, three games. Uh, they beat Akron uh, pretty bad. Maybe Bowling Green pretty bad. Both of those have been among the worst teams in the MAC uh, for a couple of years now. Uh, and then they lost a pretty tough game to Central Michigan, who's been pretty decent under um, uh, Jim McElwain. So it's it's really not like you can just look at the 2020 season. They played three MAC games, and that's what happened. Like it's it's not a it's not a huge uh, not a lot to take away. Um, so it, judging from like last season, like you can take bits and pieces here and there, um, but it's it's really hard to make like any huge judgments. Um, they do bring back uh, Curtis Rourke, who was their starting quarterback last year. Uh, you may, if you're a good college football fan. The name probably sounds familiar. His brother Nathan Rourke was the starter there for, I think, three or four years right before him, who was one of the better quarterbacks in the MAC for years. Um, was good last year, 383, uh, 386 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, 8.8 uh, yards per attempt. But again, three games. Um, that's a that's a, a theme here. Um, they also have Armani, Armani Rogers at quarterback, who is more of a dual threat, uh, had 114 yards on the ground, didn't throw too much. Um, they bring back... Uh, there are two top running backs from the last two years, Macho Tuggle and O'Shawn Allison. Um, both of them have been very productive. Me. Sorry? So Tuggle terrifies me. Yeah, he was pretty <laughs> scary last year. Allison was actually the main guy in 2019. He had 869 yards and six touchdowns. Tuggle was a bit more of the goal line guy, but he had 644 and 11. Last year, it really flipped. Tuggle had 403 yards and six touchdowns in just three games. Allison did very little. Um, so I think we'll see a heavy dose of both of them. Um, and then. Uh, they bring back uh, Isaiah Tots, who's been their top receiver for a couple of years. They bring back Ryan Lurman, who's been a red zone target at tight end for them. It sounds like they're going to do a, a, some, two, some two tight end stuff, um, which we don't see a ton of. Um, so it, it's it's a lot of experience, but like again, it's hard to make bones about what last year means and and how much we should fear guys who played in like a season last year and that it was three games. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's 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 really all over the place. Uh, in general, Ohio's been probably a good solid like top third of the Mac team pretty much every year since Solich got there. Um, they never quite broke through to be the best Mac team, but they were always in the mix. Um, and that's a team that's pretty dangerous. So I- I'm, I'm certainly not ducking them at all. I think it'll be a close game no matter what. Yeah. I mean, this team knows how to win, um, which is important uh, at the college level. And I think, you know, I mean, like, and, and it seems like a cliche, but like, I mean, Syracuse players talked about it, uh, you know, heading into like 2018, how, just them getting to a bowl game and then like tasting that after years of losing, like was such a different like mindset and, and, and all these guys like just finally being able to get that was great, but it also taught like these younger guys had a win. And now like 
you know, last year and into this year, a lot of veteran players have talked about like learning how to win again, like especially after like a one in 10 year, like you do kind of forget how to win um, and, and, and to some extent and, and the feelings that go with that and the work that it takes to, to put that in. And it's not that SU's players didn't work last year. I think last year was just such a weird confluence of events, but realistically, like there, there, there are advantages for a team like Ohio that has so much consistency uh, year to year and has a culture of winning. And like you said, even though they never broke through to win the Mac um, under Solich, uh, being one of the, you know, three to four teams in the mix almost every year, like definitely speaks for something. I, I think for, for Ohio, a lot of these guys, you know, who were kind of, who just broke out for the team last year. And by broke out, I mean, like maybe caught like seven passes across three games. Like it's tough to really take much from that. Meanwhile, I think a guy like Tuggle, you might actually, because he was experienced the year before, because he did look pretty good. Um, you know, even in three games against Mac competition, 53 carries for 403 yards is like impressive, no matter who you are. Um, so I, I think he's definitely someone that if it's, if this D line isn't able to, you know, really bottle up the run the way we expect them to, like, it could be a rough afternoon. Um, I, I know for both of us, I, I think that, uh, that from a betting standpoint, um, Syracuse winning would be, uh, would be ideal. Um, but just from a happiness standpoint as well. Uh, it, it would definitely be nice if the orange uh, made it happen. I'm definitely not banking on like a, a blowout or anything like that. Like I, I think realistically this looks something more like the opener against Western Michigan a few years ago, except instead of just like a one outburst of a third quarter from Western Michigan to get it close. Um, this is really more of a, a higher scoring dog fight throughout. I, I can buy that. I think uh, the defense uh, on the Ohio side is probably the bigger question. I know reading is a couple different things, uh, both the Q&A that you guys posted uh, today or yesterday, I forget when that was put up, um, and also some other stuff on the Ohio side. Like It sounds like the defensive back is like they played well last year, but it, it's, again, that was like their, their, their underlying stats were really, really good, but they, again, they played Akron and Bowling Green. Um, and like the year before they were in like the eighties, like the low eighties, uh, I think, uh, in college football. So it's hard to really judge how much of a step forward they took. And also, um, in general, like these last couple, uh, solo Chira teams have been pretty, um, susceptible on downfield throws. Um, obviously that's been a mitz bad for us, but we do have, uh, Taj Harris, one of the best receivers. That I think Ohio will probably face this year. Um, and you know, Tommy DeVito has had some success throwing the ball deep, uh, when he's had protection. So I think that could be a pretty big key in this one. Yeah, I agree there. I'm really uh, interested to see how I know they added uh, Virginia Tech transfer TJ Jackson at tackle. Um, so they do have some upper level talent. I know um, in the Q&A we did uh, with uh, Hustle Belt did seem like this is like one of the more talented, uh, you know, groups on defense they've had in some time. Uh, so that's not necessarily the most uh, comforting thing. Uh, there's also just the fact that, you know, and I mentioned this in the preview months ago, you know, Ohio definitely definitely seemed like they struggled a bit against the run, but at the same time, like how much can you take from that when first three games, but also the fact that they were up big in a couple of those matchups. Um, so teams are, were, were potentially, um, you know, just going to run the ball out um, to, to wrap up games. I, I think that realistically this is an Ohio team that um, has the personnel to stack the box against SU. And if they see that SU wants to come out and really establish the run, um, they could try to disrupt that very quickly. And, and and we know that the orange offensive line has not been up to snuff in recent years. I think we're going to see a better group this year 
um, by way of both the talent on the team as well as, uh, you know, Mike Schmidt, um, the, the new offensive line coach. But if if they decide to stack the box and really prevent this run game very quickly, it's going to be on DeVito to beat them. And I think he has the ability to, um, even if we haven't seen a ton of that of late. I, I think the key there, though, is going to be how much he can find Taj Harris quickly uh, to be a safety valve in the slot and how much he can utilize um, Luke Benson, uh, you know, as a receiver. Because I think both of those players could serve some really, really big roles um, here based on the personnel that uh, that Ohio has available to them. We went like 42 minutes without mentioning that the Syracuse offensive line was probably going to be an important part of uh, <laughs> of this game. So I'm glad we got that in there. <laughs> I mean, if it's true every game, is it, is, is, is it notable? It's true. It's true for every college football team, every game, but specifically this one. Um, and I don't know. I, I've been trending optimistic on things. Uh, it might be because it can't get worse. It might be because we have a lot of just like very familiar names who I've seen play well in spots, uh, if not altogether. So, I mean, hopefully that's the case. But uh, yeah, I, I think, um, you know, if if this looks like a game in which an ACC team is playing a MAC team and that offensive line also shows that, as we've seen at times in our Mac in our Mac games uh, previous and at times not, um, then we should be in pretty good shape. But uh, obviously that remains the like, you know, however million dollars uh, are on Baber's buyouts uh, question. Yeah, I agree. And, and realistically, you know, it's been talked about elsewhere on the Syracuse internet in the comment section, uh, Twitter. I know Brent Axe mentioned it too. Like the, the, this is very much a must win game. Um, that sounds cliche, but realistically it is like, there's, I, I don't personally see a path, a realistic path to six wins without this one. Yeah, um, it's certainly not like, you know, there's no such thing as, as a, a must-win game unless you're playing for the college football playoff, which we are, are, are not really. Uh, sorry to burst some bubbles, probably. Um, but uh, if you're, like, doing, like, the bowl mapping, um, obviously teams can, uh, obviously teams can get better and improve and, and show development. We've seen that in past Syracuse teams where they started like two and four and ended up being bowl teams and being pretty good. Uh, but um, yeah, if we want a bowl, like it's hard to see a pretty clear pathway without either like incredibly uh, impressive turnaround or getting this win. So yeah, let's just let's just get, get it out of the way. Yeah, very much agree. I mean, we'll we'll talk Rutgers next week, but um, a three and zero start this year would certainly help. Uh, ease my concerns quite a bit, and I know yours as well. Oh, 3-0, I think. I mean, obviously, we've seen them on the other side. We've seen uh, Syracuse blow games like that, but <laughs> I think uh, we'd be in a, a pretty pretty decent shape. 3-0, 24 years. Shout out, to, shout out to Scott Schaefer. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, uh, what, is your, uh, what is your pick for this game, uh, given, given everything we've discussed? Um, I think it's going to be close. Uh, I am pretty nervous about it um if only because like i do think ohio is pretty good um but you don't get credit for beating mac teams and if, even if they are pretty good like we all know this um so like it, it's still going to feel like you could you could be a, a a good ohio team or it could be a bad akron team like you're going to probably feel the same way if you lose um which is not ideal uh i'm gonna i have faith though i think syracuse will pull this one out i think we'll get off to a nice start and have some momentum going towards a very very important rector's game um i'm going to take the orange I'm going to go with a kind of a weird one. I'll do, I'll do 29-24. It was not far off from what I was going to go with. Um, yeah, I, I think the defense is going to do a lot of bend but not break. 
And I think that's ultimately going to, and then maybe they, you know, score a touchdown on their own. And that ultimately like sets up Syracuse um, to do just enough to, to, to get the win here. I think that um, the different looks that this three, three, five defense is going to give them could, you know, really create some fits. I think that if SU can get an early lead, I think that changes things up a ton too, because then they can't necessarily rely as much on the, the run game. But ultimately I, I think that DeVito reduces mistakes uh, I think they lean on the run game, and I think the defense helps um, guide an interesting effort uh, that that ultimately leads to a twenty-eight to twenty-six win, helping out the, uh, the degenerates that got in late, or the potentially more degenerates that got in early, and and we're we're fine with an outright win in, in a pick'em scenario. Yeah, again, like for this one, just because Ohio could potentially be pretty good, like I'm not going to get super worked up um with any kind of win like i think I'll, I'll take i'll sign for a pretty close one so um i don't think that'll necessarily mean that we're like bad or whatever i think like ohio could you know they could win the match this year like, i don't think they're a favorite but um you know it, it wouldn't shock me games, if they though. sorry they could win eight games and it is a road game like realistically road game like veteran like veteran team over there like saturday I mean, night would... game yeah, saying that game, it's worth three and a half points. If we win by two, that means that we're about a touchdown favorite over an eight-win MAC team. Like that's not a, it's not that bad. And I think Ohio. I haven't looked into their schedule very much because I, I don't care that much. But um, I, I think apparently <laughs> something that I read said Ohio's schedule is very favorable. So like they could actually roll off like a lot of wins this year um, if things break right. So this one could look pretty good by the end. But yeah, I, I you know it's hard to to dictate how I'm going to feel about something until it happens. I don't foresee myself overreacting if this is like a close win if we lose i'm probably not gonna be thrilled but um you know we'll hopefully uh deal with that if we get to it but uh hopefully not yeah i agree there and uh and, and for your edification and, and and the other uh the other bobcats watchers out there um along with this game they uh they also travel to northwestern and ul lafayette not ideal for them it's tough yeah, I think their match schedule is supposed to be favorable, but yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Like Northwestern was obviously in the Big Ten championship last year. Lafayette, um, I forgot what Lafayette likes to be called. All the They're Louisiana ranked. teams that are not LSU. Yeah, They're ranked twenty third in the country. I'm not, I'm not calling them Louisiana. We're gonna get emailed if 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 we don't tell them the right thing. We're gonna get emailed. I, 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 I'm the Monroe people. Does, doesn't the state doesn't the state laws in Louisiana doesn't it say that no school can call themselves Louisiana? I don't remember. There's a whole thing. It's I, I get I get emailed every single time I mess it up. If is like. They don't like to be called ULL, but I think UL Lafayette's okay. And I think, but they don't like to be called Lafayette, but I think Louisiana is like what they prefer because obviously they want to be like the Louisiana school, which is kind of doofy. Um, And then Monroe has a whole other thing. So yeah, they're just, you know, I want to like those schools. They have a a cool cayenne pepper in their logo, but come on, like be flexible with the name stuff. We, it's confusing. Agreed. (laughs) Also, hopefully everyone down there is doing okay because like obviously the hurricane is pretty devastating. Um, and just the weather in general in this country is pretty devastating, no matter where you are. Good times. Agreed. Yeah, my, my part <laughs> of the country is on fire. So it's a. Uh, yes. No matter where you live, I hope your local weather catastrophe is going okay. Agreed, agreed. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Train News and Absolute Podcast. You rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Go orange.